Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the official Copper and Blue podcast, an Edmonton Oilers podcast uh, that has come to an end this season. The Edmonton Oilers were swept 4-0 in their first round playoff series against the Winnipeg Jets. Um, a sweep on the surface sounds pretty bad, like the Oilers got outplayed pretty badly. But if you watch the games, they're actually pretty close. All four of them were basically one goal games with three of those games coming in overtime. The Oilers just weren't getting the bounces. And as a result, the season's over. Despite our such our positive predictions in our last podcast, right, Corey? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we did say sweep, or at least I said sweep. Uh, just wasn't thinking that it was going to be the Oilers getting swept. It was going to be the Oilers doing the sweeping. So a little bit of egg on my face there. Uh, but yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, egg on all of our faces. Shona won't be joining us today. Um, so it's just me and Corey for this episode. But I believe all three of us predicted the Oilers winning this series in what like I think we all had a consensus of five or less games and it ends up the Jets uh sweeping us so that is very unfortunate but as I said they were very close games I thought the Oilers outplayed the Jets in the majority of those games at least three of the four games the Oilers had the edge it just came down to not being able to seal the deal especially in that game three loss where we had a 4-1 lead with under 10 minutes to go and Winnipeg stars back and wins in overtime so you know what? I, I'm disheartened for sure. The expectations were a lot higher than this, but uh, it's not like the team got blown out of the water as a sweep may suggest. Yeah, like like you said, I mean, th- they were all very close games. I mean, the 1-4-1 game was a 2-1 game with two empty netters. Uh, the 4-1 game is absolutely devastating because they should have had that. And then uh, the two other overtime games were, you know, pretty close games. And if you look at the series as a whole – uh, you know, just look at some expected goal stats from like natural Satrick. I believe that only the, the Colorado St. Louis series was more lopsided in terms of expected goals. And with uh, surprisingly, the Oilers actually were the team that carried the play for the most of those games. Uh, so, yeah, they had like something around 60, a little over 60 percent expected goals, which is awesome. Uh, of course, it's not awesome that it didn't it translate into zero wins and you know, making too much of an excuse about it. Like no one wants to hear that the Oilers did get swept. Uh, You know, you don't want to say, Hey, like, you know, we won the expected goals. Like who gives a shit, but yeah, uh, you know, it's not as bad as it may seem like it. It's not like the team is, is, is trash. Like they, they got some bad bounces. It happens in hockey. Yeah. And they ran into a hot goaltender and Connor Hellebuck who had some difficulties down the stretch in the regular season, but really turned it on the playoffs and held Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel without any points in the first two game of the series. And that's, that's huge. That doesn't happen very often. So credit where credit's due to Connor Hellebuck, but you know, it wasn't a, an issue with goaltending for the Oilers either. I thought Mike Smith who started all four of these games played pretty well. He gave Empton a chance to win every single night. And I, I can't find maybe a few soft goals in overtime, but other than that, he held the team in it and got it to overtime in some instances. So I wouldn't pin it on Mike Smith like we could with the Chicago series last summer. So yeah, just some some poor bounces and uh, some bad luck. And no matter how you slice it, like you said, we won the expected goals, but that doesn't matter if we don't win the series. So, you know, it's sad, but uh, that's where we're at. Uh, speaking of Mike Smith, Ken Holland held a... Uh, post uh, season conference to kind of end things out. And in it, he said that he was going to be meeting with Mike Smith in the next couple of weeks in Kelowna to discuss an extension with the team, which I think is just a terrible, 
terrible uh, place to start. Like I understand that Mike Smith had a fantastic season with the Oilers and credit to him. He had a fantastic season, maybe one of the best of his career. And that's good for the Oilers, but we're entering his 40 year old season to expect him to put up a season like he just did this past season is frankly outrageous. I don't think anyone is expecting Mike Smith to be a starter in the national hockey league for the 2021, 22 season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's just, it's just not the best strategy to rely on a 40 year old. The fact, like, despite the fact that he was really good this year overall, like he, by no means, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. Did he cost us that playoff series? Uh, it was just kind of, you know, the others couldn't get the bounces more offensively than anything. Um, and, you know, I just want to point this out. I feel like some listeners might be like, oh, these guys seem like they're really making a lot of excuses for the Oilers. Like you've got to be good enough that in a first round series, you can have a lot of bounces not go your way and still be able to win the series. If you're a serious team thinking about contending, but yeah, no, like it wasn't his fault. That being said, it's just, it's just going to be so hard for him to repeat what he did last year. And I don't mind the idea of him, competing for a job next year uh, because he proved that he's, you know, still a decent goalie, but he can't be the number one option. I, I think that's just setting yourself up for not having a high enough ceiling. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's the analogy I use all the time when I talk about Mike Smith, you made a bad bet last summer, bringing him back. That bet paid off out of against all odds. It paid off. You don't go back to that bet and make it again, hoping you get those same results again. And if, the, if Ken Holland thinks that he's going to, get those results again. I, I just don't have much trust in his decision-making, especially when we have uh, some other UFA goalies like Linus Olmark, Philip Grubauer, and guys like that hidden the market. I'd like to see Holland take a shot at some of those guys before going back to Mike Smith. Um, but yeah, bringing back Mike Smith will obviously cause a little bit of a problem because uh, Miko Koskinen's still there and he's making 4.5 for one more season. And he looked absolutely broken at the end of the season. I don't know how they get rid of that contract, but I can't imagine him suiting up in an Oilers uniform next season. So do you think it's going to be a buyout or do you think we're going to try uh, to work out a trade here with Miko Koskinen? I mean, it's so hard to tell because they've bought out so many guys in the last few years and it really just feels like wasted money. But at the same time, you can't, I mean, if they do bring in back Mike Smith, which is kind of the biggest reason why it's not a great idea is because then you don't have, any goalies that you're really confident in because Koskinen is not a goalie that we're confident in right now. So maybe it's the best option to buy him out. I don't know if they could work out a trade, that'd be better. Uh, you just don't want a guy who's so much of a question mark. I mean, the, the bad thing about trading him right now is that I don't think he's actually as bad as he played this season. He's his values at a low point. So you're probably not going to win that trade. Uh, so it's really just not a great situation at the end of the day. Um, what I'd probably do is just like let Smith not play for the Oilers, you know, see if someone else wants him, bring Koskinen back as a backup, see if he can improve his stock a little bit and then go after someone else. But I don't know. I don't really see that happening. Yeah. And it, it doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room, keeping like everyone around like Mike Smith coming back, Miko Koskinen's there. We also have Alex Stalock on a contract for another season as well. So if we bring back Mike Smith and don't get rid of anyone else, then we're just running with the same goalies again, which is not ideal to say the least. It's probably one of the worst things Ken Holland can do this summer is not improve in that area. 
Um, so that's going to be an interesting thing that shakes out. Um, I kind of briefly mentioned the buyout. He did say that uh, a buyout was a real possibility this summer. And a lot of people were pointing at James Neal as a potential buyout option, which is really the reason why we got him in the first place. We traded Lucic for Neal because Neal's contract could be more easily bought out. Um, but I have heard from various people on Twitter. I uh, don't know how trustworthy they are. This is Twitter. We're talking about that. James Neal is not necessarily the target. It is Koskinen, which I think is weird. It's a weird thing to do because um, you save a lot more money by buying out James Neal than Miko Koskinen. And James Neal has been a non-factor for like this entire season. And Miko Koskinen maybe could bounce up to be a decent backup. So I think it's a, a lot better... Uh, a lot better, a lot better upside, more upside in buying out Neil than Koskinen. Yeah, I'd agree with that hundred percent. I mean, Neil brings, you know, I'm sorry to say, but virtually nothing to your team outside of when he's a net front presence on the power play. And I don't think he's the best oiler to be doing that. I mean, Chazon's probably a better option and I don't think he's the best oiler to be doing that. I think it's probably Pugliarvi's job in my uh, estimation. So yeah, I, I just don't think uh, it's a good use of, of money to keep, Neil employed uh the fact yeah as you mentioned the reason that that trade was such a win is because you could buy out Neil a lot easier than you could buy a Lucic and that's really where the value in that trade was so you've got to do that I mean it kind of seems like a no-brainer to me in fact yeah for sure and um I I don't see I don't see why they wouldn't in a summer where they have so much cap space you could create a little bit more and um, to improve your bottom six and get a left a legitimate left winger for Connor McDavid, that should be a, another thing at the top of the priority list for Ken Holland. Uh, that will be made a little bit more difficult if Ryan Nugent Hopkins isn't re-signed. And there was some optimism early in the season around January that a deal would get done. But the latest reports here say that talks have broken down between the Oilers and Ryan Nugent Hopkins camp. And it might be going the distance here it might come down to the final hour, whether Nugent Hopkins comes to the Edmonton Oilers or not. And um, I got to say, if this is the hill that Ken Holland will die on, on not giving a guy a little bit extra money, it's, it's very strange because he hasn't done that with guys like Zach Cassian, who have been absolutely brutal on this team since his extension. So that would be another um, lapse in judgment. If Ken Holland can't get Ryan Nugent Hopkins to return to the team. Yeah, I think if there's one lesson to be learned from the playoffs, it's that the Oilers have to improve the quality of their five and five play uh, because they weren't getting a lot of power play opportunities in the playoffs, which I mean, frankly, I think is bullshit. Like I think the NHL should just call the rule book at all times, but uh, guys like Barry guys like Neil, uh, these guys don't really move the needle at all in five on five. And that's why despite decent ish numbers numbers that would suggest that they have a roster should have a roster spot i don't think they actually should have roster spots on the other hand nugent hopkins is a guy who will actually move the needle at five on five and when he's on the power play makes an actual difference that i don't think you could easily replace with a ufa or you know some other signing or you know giving a young guy more minutes like you're not gonna replace what you get from ryan nugent hopkins uh you might sign someone else if you don't pay him quite the money he wants but like the ufa market is usually not that great i mean it's not like you're gonna get another ryan nugent hopkins and if you are you're probably paying him the type of money that ryan nugent hopkins is already asking for so the easy solution here is just you know give ryan nugent hopkins the little bit more money that he's asking for i don't think it's going to be over like seven million or something that's going to be completely you know 
too much money. So I, you know, just give him, give him what he wants. He's a, he's an important player. Uh, Dry Saddle McDavid have enough on their plate without having to cover up for his production as well. If he, if he, if he leaves. Yeah, I can imagine this team without Nugent Hopkins. It'd, it'd just basically be more McDavid and Drysaddle carrying everyone else than it already was, which was already pretty pretty hefty what they were carrying on this team. So to lose Nugent Hopkins would be catastrophic, I think, for our top six, um, especially because we don't have a guy like Cole Caulfield who we could have had in the NHL by now, but we're now we're waiting on Philip Broberg. Um, turning our attention to the back end of the Oilers now, the defensive group, it looks like there's going to be a little bit of changes there. Tyson Berry doesn't appear he's going to be back, which if you follow this podcast, that's really good news to us because outside of uh, mooching off a secondary assist from Connor McDavid and getting premier power play time, he didn't really do a whole lot at five on five, like you alluded to there. He was a pretty poor defender in his own right. So it's looking like we'll, we might see more of Evan Bouchard in a in that role next year which is a long time coming he's looked fantastic in his short little stints here in Edmonton this season um it looked like it looked like Caleb it looked like Caleb Jones was going to be in that playoff series but he didn't appear at all so I think his time in Edmonton is done whether it be from expansion to Seattle or a trade in the summer which is a shame because I thought Caleb Jones was one of the better defenders we had this year so it's another misstep from the Oilers if they lose Caleb Jones um, either in expansion or trade. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Uh, Caleb Jones, I think proved to us time and time again, he was a top six defender on the team. That being said, like, I don't think he was, you know, he's not quite on bears level. I don't think he's on, he's going to be on Bouchard's level, uh, projecting going forward. So if we lose him, it'll be a shame. I mean, I'll be legitimately disappointed in most, I mean, unless we get something back for him that I just don't see coming. Uh, I can't imagine being too thrilled with, with that transaction, but uh, I am very excited that it seems like there's going to be a spot for Evan Bouchard to play a major role on the Oilers in the 2021, 22 season. I think that'll actually make the team just a lot better right away. And I don't think people realize how good of a player he already is. And I mean, I don't even think it would be that much of a stretch to say that he and bear will be our two best defenders in, in the 20. I mean, and nurse as well. Those three will probably be our three best defenders in the 2021, 22, 22 season. So. Yeah. Uh, and I don't yeah, think I mean, you can call me on that if it doesn't work out, but I, I think it will. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I agree actually hundred percent. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that Evan Bouchard could probably match uh, Tyson Berry's production. Give him a, give him a season in that type of role on the power play and everything. I think he can do that. Um, he's that talented of a player at a young age. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Kale McCarr or anything, but uh, he's going to step in right away and make a difference. And I think a lot of other fans will see that early on in the 2021-22 season. Um, Oscar Clefbaum, the situation remains murky on him. We don't know if he's going to be back. We don't know if the others are going to protect him in the expansion draft because of the uncertainty if he'll ever play again. I've said in the past on previous podcasts, I think the smart thing would be to keep him unprotected and then protect Jones because if Seattle takes cleft bomb and he can't play, well, we have some insurance there in having Caleb Jones. And then if we protect cleft bomb and he can't play and we lose Jones, well, then we just lost two defenders for no good reason. Right. So uh, what do you think is going to happen with Oscar cleft bomb here? It's kind of a crapshoot. I know, but uh, if you had to guess, do you think he'll be back with the Oilers uh, come October? Yeah, I think from an outsider's perspective, what you just presented is probably 
the best course of action. Uh, that being said, obviously the Oilers will have a little bit of inside information. Uh, their doctors have been working with Clefbaum. Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe Clefbaum's, uh, you know, road to recovery looks a bit better than fans think it is. And in that case, fantastic. Oscar Clefbaum at 100% is the Oilers' best defenseman. And, uh, you know, that top four is starting to look really, really good next year if he's part of it. Uh, that being said, you know, that's super optimistic. I mean, if, if it is as bad as we think, or if they're just not really sure if, uh, even the doctors who are checking it out, just don't know what's going to happen. Unfortunately, we probably should leave them unprotected because, you know, you don't want to just get nothing out of a guy, uh, which, you know, it's terrible to say because he was a very, very promising defenseman at one point, not, not just promising. He was a good defenseman in the NHL. Um, so yeah, I mean, they should have more inside information there and uh you know if they if they end up not protecting him and he's you know has a great season for seattle in 2021 22 uh you know they'll, they'll look a little silly i mean but at the same time if they do protect him and he never plays another game again then they'd look just as silly so yeah it's not not a great situation yeah, it's kind of a lose-lose there. No matter no matter what happens, right? You're gonna lose somebody, and it's gonna it's gonna hurt a little bit. Um, um, so yeah, like you said, the top four for the Oilers next year, if Oscar Kleffbaum comes back, is looking pretty deadly. Like we'd have Darnell Nurse, Ethan Bear as a top pairing, then maybe Oscar Kleffbaum, Evan Bouchard, um, another guy, uh, Adam Larson, who we've talked about before on this on this podcast. He's expected to be extended to a three to four year deal around the same money. I'm guessing that means he's a top four defenseman because it would be awfully expensive to pay him that if we're expecting him to be the third pairing defenseman on his next deal. I just think in a perfect world, he's going to end up being a third pairing defenseman. And by a perfect world, I mean, Clefbaum coming back and everyone, all the kids showing that they can develop into what we think they can be, uh, which, you know, for Bouchard and even for Bear, Bear's a really good defenseman right now. I don't think that we have to project too much, but um, you know, I think that that's very reasonable to say that they're going to be better than Adam Larson in the very near future. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really see where Adam Larson plays in a top four role unless Clefbaum never plays again, which is awful. Uh, so like either of those situations kind of, you know, I don't love. So basically that's just me saying, I don't love the Adam Larson deal. That being said, he is a solid third pairing defenseman. Uh, he's not a guy that you hate to have on your team or anything. He's just not a guy that you, you know, want to make too much of a big deal over keeping because he's not, I don't think he really moves the needle a ton, but yeah, he's a fun yeah. player. Yeah, no, he's, a, he's, he's good in the role that, that he's been given as a shutdown defender. I think as, as we discussed here, once the kids come up with Evan Bouchard and Ethan Bear, they're obviously going to surpass him. And even if he does play in a third pairing role, I'm fine with him there. I'm fine with the player Adam Larson there. I'm just worried about the money being uh, allocated to a position like that where you could probably get a player with a similar impact on a much uh, a much uh, cheaper deal so we'll see how that shakes out in the coming weeks here um when it comes to signing defensemen we got adam larson and then not this summer but next summer the big ticket is going to be darnell nurse who has taken a few bridge deals over the past few seasons and ken holland alluded to uh his next contract and how he'll have to um kind of save some money this summer so he can give nurse a large payout next summer, which I think is a slippery slope as well. I thought nurse was fantastic this year. He was by far our best defenseman and look what he did in game four. He played 
over a game's worth of uh, ice time, over 60 minutes of ice time in that triple overtime game. And uh, not a lot of players in the league can do that. So I'm not saying he's a bad defenseman. He's obviously a very good NHL player and a very good NHL defenseman. But uh, I, I can't really fathom a world where we're paying him like $8 million, $7 million a year. That's a lot of money. And I, I just don't think he's up there in that upper echelon of defensemen worth that much money. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, if, if everything kind of goes the way that it looks like it could go, just based on his very, you know, simple production that anyone can understand, just looking at a box score, uh, Darnell Nurse is, you know, could be in line for a Drew Doughty type contract. And I don't even think that Drew Doughty type contract is working out very well for LA. I no. mean, it's just given that kind of money to a defenseman who, who is not a fantastic defender. I mean, he's a, he's a fine defender, uh, but he, I mean, his best attributes are, are, are his offensive skills. Uh, to be fair to him, um, unlike Barry, he actually does move the needle at five on five offensively, which I, I like, but he does play a ton with, with McDavid and Dreisaitl. So we don't know how much of that is just him being a good defender, uh, playing with some really, really good forwards at five on five. Uh, but yeah, I'd like, I'd like my seven plus million dollar defenseman, which is probably what he's going to get to be a little bit better in his own, in his own end, or just like an elite power play driver, which I don't really see him being either. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I anticipate Darnell nurse going for more money than I would like to see him get by the same token. He's a really good player and it's generally not great to just let really good players walk. So, I mean, there's, that's kind of a shitty situation as well. <laughs> um, but Hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, no, there's a lot of those situations surrounding the Oilers. Um, uh, and the most, the biggest one of course is uh, Darnell nurse. So uh, yeah, I'm really worried about how those negotiations will go. Like he's paid his dues here. He's uh, he's foregoed like these long contracts for a few bridge deals. So now he's going to look to cash in, which uh, I don't blame him. He's he deserves that money if, if after doing that and he's played well and he showed that he's a good defenseman. I'm just worried about the cap situation moving forward. Um, we just opened up a bunch of cap this summer. We can actually improve the team. And then um you know, if we give $7 million, $8 million to Darnell Nurse next summer, is that just going to handicap us again? Like, I, I haven't seen a lot of consistency from him from season to season. He's kind of gone, uh, I know two years ago, he had a really good season. And then last year, he was kind of, uh, and then this season, he just broke out again. So are we going to get another mediocre season from him again? Or is he actually going to find some consistency here? So I think it'd be a bad idea to pay him this summer. I know the Oilers can, but I'd, I'd just wait a little bit and see if this, uh, this type of production, this type of play continues on into next season before going crazy with the money. Yeah. I think the best thing that could actually happen for the Oilers. Um, and I don't really trust in the Oilers being the, the cause of this, but is if Darnell nurse uh, takes maybe a, another stride forward in his own end and driving play, but for some reason doesn't have the offensive boxcar stats next year, maybe we kind of luck into getting him at a, you know, a contract that we can stomach. Uh, So that's, you know, kind of what I'm hoping for. You know, we don't want Darnell Nurse to get a lot of secondary assists next year, because if he does, he's going to end up getting paid for it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, by the same token, Darnell Nurse is a leader on this team, a really good player. uh, And it's not the worst thing in the world if we end up paying him some money. Uh, You know, it obviously handicaps the team, but a good GM should be able to work around it. 
Yeah, but I don't know. Ken Holland, is he a good GM or was he just yeah. one that had a he lot of it. luck in the 90s, right? Yeah. <laughs> I If you follow me on Twitter, you know my thoughts about Ken Holland. Uh, the amount of times he mentioned the Red Wings in his year-end press conference was ridiculous. I think Jeff, our editor over at Copper and Blue, had a counter going that got up to like 15 or something. It was uh, pretty disheartening to see him talk so much about another team rather than the one he's managing right now. Um, we're going to be talking about a little bit more about some off-season targets in the second half of this episode. Just stick around and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. We left off the first half of the show talking about some of the the key issues coming up with the Oilers this offseason. We talked about Darnell Nurse, Adam Larson, and that. And now we're going to talk about some targets in the free agency market and maybe some trade options as well. Uh, the Oilers are going to need to improve their bottom six this year or next season um, as they were pretty pathetic for the 2020-2021 uh, season. Um so where are some guys that you're looking out there in the UFA market that could be guys who moved the needle in that bottom six? Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I haven't really gotten into off-season mode yet. I haven't really scoured that too much. Um, but yeah, basically anyone who uh, just, you know, the, the, the formula that the Oilers should be using right now is just looking at guys who probably haven't had great offensive numbers because you're going to have to, you know, pay top dollar for them but have moved the needle on, you know, expected goals and possibly, you know, had some bad luck on ice stuff, uh, you know, take their minutes down a little bit. That'd be the type of player that, that I'd be looking at acquiring. Um, so, you know, I'm not really sure who that is, to be honest. I haven't really uh, <laughs> gone through it too much, but I, I think we need some guys in the bottom six who have, uh, you know, kind of had a bad PDO the last year or two who we can uh, swoop in and, and uh, you know, reap the benefits of, of them not having their best year. Yeah, for sure. I know one guy that a lot of people on Twitter have been talking about is Blake Coleman, who currently plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He is just pulling up his stats here. He's 29 years old, uh, 5'11", 207. So he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he, he seems to have driven play pretty well for the Lightning this year. Um, he's put up uh, 37, 31 points in 55 games with the Lightning this year, and he's gotten four points in seven playoff games. So, you know, he's a guy that the Oilers could look to. I think he's currently making not that much money. He's making 1.8 this year, so maybe a little bit of a raise going in maybe around the $3 million range. He's also a guy that I've heard a lot of people talk about being someone who could jump into the top six, maybe. He hasn't uh, gotten that opportunity to be a top six player in the NHL, and the Oilers have two spots on the left wing, or hopefully one if Nugent Hopkins come back, that he can maybe audition for. So that's one guy I think uh, uh, Ken Holland should be targeting or at least quite inquiring about this offseason. I've also been a proponent of uh, Zach Hyman on the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think he'd be a perfect complement to Connor McDavid and Jesse Pugliarvi. Um yeah, those are, those are two guys that I've been thinking about quite a bit. And uh, another one is Thomas Tatar on the Canadians, who has struggled these playoffs, I believe. I think he's a healthy scratch right now. So, you know, he could be had for cheap as well. And we could bank on him maybe having a bounce back here. Yeah, Tatar would actually be great um, for, as a bottom six option. I mean, for Hyman and, and, uh, and Coleman, I would actually say that, like, those guys are probably better than than, a, than a, a bottom six option. Those guys, like you said, could definitely jump into the top six. And I think they'd both be the types of players that 
both, uh, you know, analytically inclined fans and a little bit more old school fans would probably both really appreciate because they're guys who play physical, but really can control the play as well. And uh, yeah, could definitely slot in as kind of puck retrieval specialists on a, on a skilled line with, with McDavid or dry title. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of those guys, Thomas Tatar, has a lot of uh, experience with uh, Ken Holland. He played with the Red Wings from 2012-13 all the way up until 2017-18. So it's not like this guy would be an unknown asset to Ken Holland. He'd know a little bit about what uh, type of player he is. So we could uh, definitely keep an eye on that for this summer. When it comes to UFA defensemen, I'm not really too invested in it. I think our, our defensive group is pretty much set in stone. And once we see if Oscar Clefbaum comes back and whether or not Caleb Jones is selected in the expansion draft, I think it's a safe bet to say that that third line pairing guy on the left side is either going to be Chris Russell on that reduced cap hit or uh, William Lakison. I think that's a pretty fair assumption at this point in time. For sure. Yeah, I'd say so. And actually, you know what, going back, I've just been thinking about this a little bit as we've been talking about, I think uh, the bottom six will probably be able to get a pretty good uh, boost from just Cooper Marodi and Tyler Benson, who had fantastic yeah. seasons down in Bakersfield this year. So without even spending too much money, I mean, you can spend a little bit of money to try to get a legitimate winger for McDavid or Dreisaitl, um, you know, or Nugent Hopkins, if, if the choice is to play McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same line. And then the, the bottom six would probably take care of itself with those guys, because those guys were actually fantastic. And oh, yeah, you know, Ryan McLeod, may have been the third best of that group and just got called up due to positional need. And I thought Ryan McLeod was fantastic. So. Yeah, for sure. I was like, you know, bring that up right after they could have some, uh, some uh, internal improvement with guys like Benson McLeod and Marodi and um, McLeod, like you said, probably the third best of those guys, but uh, still impressed. I think Tyler Benson hasn't had a fair shot at the NHL. He gone to a few games. What last season, um, but he didn't stick around for that long. And Marodi was always up and down. I think he's had a few games over the last few years. But uh, yeah, why not give him a chance in the, the fourth or third line role? It can't be any worse than what we put out this year, right? Um, so yeah, sure. I think for sure that's a, a great idea for Ken Holland to explore this summer. Um, speaking of the Condors, they actually just uh, won the only playoff in the AHL. Now, a lot of uh, divisions had the chance to do playoffs in the American Hockey League, but the Pacific Division was able to get a full one done. And the Bakersfield Condors are the 2020-2021 uh, Pacific Division AHL champions. And they're, they're the only champions of the leagues this year. So that's uh, some pretty, uh, some pretty um, encouraging news. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, they they won two uh, best of three series, a little short, sweet series. Uh, I think they ended up at one point playing four games in five days and were still able to, you know, uh, get through that grind and actually win the, uh, you know, the, the division. I guess I was I was going to say the Calder Cup. It's far from the Calder Cup. All they did was play to the end of their division. But uh, but yeah, no, yeah, they were the best team in their division the this year, which was awesome. Uh, they were the two seed going in uh, behind the Henderson Silver Knights, who actually was a team that Bakersfield played really tough all season. I remember they didn't play them until very late in the year. And uh, I was kind of wondering, cause I do the weekly uh, forecast, whether the lack of playing Henderson was kind of inflating uh, Bakersfield and in, in the model a little bit. Uh, but no, I mean, they handled Henderson extremely well. Um, and you know, they were tight games, but they came out on top. Well, yeah, uh, going know, the they... distance of three games in both series. 
Yeah, they uh, they got the name Cardiac Condors, I think, that they're putting out. And they did something that their uh, NHL club couldn't do, which was win in overtime. So it's good to see that uh, we have a little bit of a winning culture down in the minors. Uh, and Jay Woodcroft has done amazing work with that team since he's become the head coach. I know when he was a coach with the Oilers, I think he was in charge of special teams. And I, I was not a big fan of him. I, I got to say, I was not a big fan of how he ran the special teams. But all the credit to him since he's jumped into that role. He's been churning out pro- NHL-ready prospects for the Oilers. And I can't say I've, I've had problems with any of them. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's fantastic to see. He just may not have been suited to that special teams role because you're absolutely right. The special teams were not very good under Jay Woodcroft, especially the power play. But um, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it when I say that Jay Woodcroft is probably the best head coach in the Oilers organization right now. So, oh, for sure. You, yeah. you know, I have had lots of problems with Dave Tippett this year. And I know I understand people who are like, we can't fire him. We've had so many coaches this past decade. But man, we've come, we're coming off two seasons where I think Dave Tippett have coached this team into playoff losses. Like I think the Oilers were well-suited against the Jets. We discussed how good of a matchup it was. And Dave Tippett continually just didn't ice the most optimal lineup. And you you can even see it in, in game four where he took out um, Dmitry Kulikov, a deadline acquisition, and putting Chris Russell after Chris Russell hadn't played for, what was it, like five or six games? It's just he makes baffling decision after baffling decision. And if the Oilers decided to uh, fire Dave Tippett and hell give Woodcroft a little bit, maybe give him a little bit of a chance in that role. I, I would, I would honestly not be opposed to it, but uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it either. I, it's, it's not going to happen. Day. I'm just going to say that right now. Like oh, yeah, for sure. not getting fired this season. So we, uh, you know, it's a total pipe dream on, on our part because I don't <laughs> think either of us are members of the Dave Tippett fan club, but no. yeah, I mean, just the refusal to play Ennis was always baffling to me. Uh, you know, never sending Bouchard down to the AHL or putting him in the lineup, just kind of keeping him in limbo, the best defensive prospect that you've had in over a decade. I mean, just, some of this shit just blew my mind. But um, I, I couldn't know. believe that. Uh, like, it's crazy that Darnell Nurse was able to play a full 60 minute game plus in that game yeah. for elimination game. But, you know, he shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. You know, you have to have enough trust in. And guys like McLeod and guys like Ennis, and you have to have trust in all four lines there. I know they haven't mm-hmm. played well, but when you get into triple OT, man, you can't shorten the bench to two lines and two pairings and expect to come out on top. Yeah. And it was just because like he didn't really trust his bottom pair, which like it's fine because he didn't even dress a good bottom pair. So he has not no one but his own, but itself to blame for that. Uh the, the reason that Darnell Nurse had to play over 60 minutes is because. Ethan Bear was in the doghouse, which, you know, to be fair, Ethan Bear had a brutal turnover that led to a goal. Like, I'll, I'll gladly admit that, even though yeah. I'm a big fan of Bear. But, like, uh, what the hell? Like, so what? Like, just, yeah, yeah, I didn't understand play a guy that as 60 well. minutes because your second best defenseman made a mistake and he has, has to learn a lesson. Like, I'm sure he learned his lesson. He's fucking, you guys are out of the playoffs now. Yeah, I, I did understand that too. It seems like with Dave Tippett, there's a he preaches accountability. I remember that big thing he did at the beginning of the season about players needing to be held accountable. But that, that doesn't ring true for the Oilers and for Dave Tippett because obviously it doesn't. As soon as Ethan Bear makes a mistake, he's in the doghouse. He's he's benched for like a, basically an entire game with how many overtimes we had. And then you have guys like Tyson Berry who routinely make mistakes in the in the defensive end that lead to goals, and he keeps getting first pairing. First pair, first pairing responsibilities. I just, I, I don't like when a coach says 
a player needs to be held responsible and then only holds certain groups of players accountable. It's everyone. If you say that, everyone is held accountable. And it just wasn't the case this year. And it's, it, it was frustrating to see that uh, from a fan and someone who watches all the games. It's just so clearly not true. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. I could, I could rail against uh, Dave Tippett for an entire, entire day if you wanted me to. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. He's obviously not getting fired. Um, Ken Holland and Dave Tippett obviously have a pretty strong bond. I don't know if they're on the same page all of the time. Cause like I said, the, uh, scratching Dmitry Kulikov, which was like the only trade deadline acquisition and elimination game seems a little weird from a GM coach relationship, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say about that. No, yeah. hundred percent on board there. And I, I, you know, NS, I guess would be another example of a, a very good acquisition actually that, uh, Holland probably doesn't get enough credit for that. Like I think Holland, we blame him for plenty, but the NS acquisition was actually fine. Uh, and the only problem there was that Tippett didn't really play him enough because he was a good player. Um, and he never really got to live out his full potential as an oiler, uh, assuming that he's not going to be an oiler anymore, but yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with that. Dave Tippett, some of his, his lineup decisions are a little baffling to me. Uh, you know, overall, maybe not a terrible coach. I mean, they are pretty strong in special teams. I guess like he's not directly responsible for that, but as a head coach, he does oversee the more, you know, set play side of the side of uh, the game, which I guess is a little bit more to do with coaching than, than five on five play generally is, but yeah, no, I'm not a fan of Dave Tippett. Uh, I don't really know where I, I was going with that, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> We tend to ramble on in this podcast quite yeah. a bit. So, you know, it's fine. I do I do plenty of rambling here. All right. So as we speak right now, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens are currently playing in their game seven matchup. Winner goes on to the second round to play the Winnipeg Jets. By the time this is released, this game will be over. This will be completely uh, redundant, what we say here. But I want to see if we can look smart or stupid here. So who do you got in game seven right now? It's currently 0-0. Zero, zero um yeah I've got the Leafs I mean I, yeah. I just think the Leafs are a much better team I know that they're cursed and everything uh but I just think they're a better team uh and you know there's a 66-ish percent chance that I'm right when I say that but of course uh you know if I pick the Leafs and the Leafs do win it's not impressive at all and if I pick against the Leafs and they lose then it's you know hey cool you pick the underdog and they won um <laughs> Well, yeah, there's like a 33-ish percent chance that the that the Habs win, despite the fact that I don't think they're as good a team. But yeah, I'll pick the Leafs. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going the opposite side. So at least one of us will be right when this drops tomorrow. Exactly. I'm going with the Canadians. I had them at the beginning of the series, and I'm sticking with that underdog. Uh, last question here: Do you think the Oilers can do enough this offseason to become a second-round uh, playoff team next year? Yeah, I mean, I think they could have been a second-round playoff team this year if they get a couple more bounces their way. Um, I know, as I said earlier, it's not the thing you want to hear because they didn't win a single playoff game. Uh, I think they should be aiming higher than that because they have the best player in the game and then another guy who's won an MVP. And it's just extremely rare to have a one-two punch like that. And a one-two punch like that should be competing for a Stanley Cup every year. But yeah, they're a second round team. Sure. Absolutely. I agree. I agree 100%. Hopefully Ken Holland can... uh can be the guy that gets the Oilers um, over that hump so far. I have my doubts, but if he proves me wrong this summer, he proves me wrong. And I hope he does. That's going to do it for this episode of the Copper and Blue podcast. The future, future episodes are kind of a little bit up in the air. I don't know if we're going to have enough content to do this every single week, but uh, for big events like the draft and free agency, we'll be for sure 
uh, covering that over at our website and doing some podcasts covering those big events. So be sure to stay tuned and subscribe to us if you haven't already. And we'll talk to you later, later on. 